0: Actually, before I do that, hey, it's so good to have Rowan up here. Yeah. This man really, really spends a lot of time just looking into the Word, um, studying, thinking about things, praying about things. We've got a real deep thinker here, mate, and, and it's just great to have you here, and it's great to have you Jeez. part of the church family as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Father, thank you for this man. Thank you that he's here. Thank you that he just gets to, to be himself today and uh, to bring all the, the thoughts and all the things he's considered and all the study, and we get to listen. So, Father, would you um, please help us to hear what we need to hear? Yeah. And may it go really deep, Lord. May it really um, change how we see things and help us as we go forward. Help us to know you more. Amen. 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 Cool. cool. How's it going, church? Um, welcome this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, as Steve just said, I'm Rowan, Uh, I've been a part of this church community for the last three years, and um, I'm married to my wife Jess, who's actually just went out with our our child. (laughs) Um, In that time, it's been a great privilege to be able to start a Connect Group, um, where we just get to really focus in on God and focus on what the Scriptures are saying, and look at the Scriptures in a, a really big picture way as well. And that just seeing the beauty and the craftsmanship and the divine inspiration behind it all. Um, this year, I actually became a father for the very first time. <laughs> so it's been a very radical change of lifestyle of how I spend my free time, um, how I spend my night time... <laughs> It seems like now I've just got this little human that consumes all my time. (laughs) And when I was writing this um, sermon, I was was thinking about, you know, what to talk about and how to present this. And thinking about Isaac, um, my son, I was thinking the thing that makes parenthood really rewarding are its challenges. (laughs) So today as we talk about apologetics... um, we're actually we're thinking about challenges that are brought to us, and at times those challenges seem difficult and frustrating and make us nervous or make us question things, but that's where all the reward comes from as well. So with any time that we're challenged greatly, we also have great re- rewards available to us. Yeah, and it, it sort of actually it reminds me of where I actually came from. So I was brought up in a home that was agnostic at best, definitely more leaning towards the atheist side, and I had not been exposed to Christianity in any way, shape or form um, throughout my childhood. Um, I was that kid who got a note excusing me from Bible and schools, (laughs) which is kind of ironic now. And um, I was also that friend and that co-worker that loved to challenge Christianity. I knew a few holes I could poke in it, and I loved to poke them. Uh, And this is actually one of the things that led me towards Jesus. So in my early 20s, I think I was about 22, I had this co-worker that was a Christian. And I used to, I loved harassing him about, how God was just a means to fill in the gaps of our understanding, how um, it would be a ridiculous notion to believe anything other than the fact that we evolved from primates, et cetera, et cetera. And this went on for a few months, and I remember one night, and this was the most peculiar night I've ever had, I I woke up in the middle of the night from a dream. I couldn't tell you what the dream was, but I woke up, and I had this distinct feeling in my heart that I needed to go to church. And for someone who had no space in his worldview for God, this was just, that blew my categories. And it got worse, because I went to work the next day, and within half an hour of getting to work, the Christian who I'd been harassing invited me to church. (laughs) And it was a church night that discussed... um, the evidence against um, evolution. And so that was just a really peculiar experience, and it shattered so many of my worldviews. But then it didn't actually get me to Jesus either. Christianity makes some really big claims about the world we live in, and actually having evidence to back that up is a really good thing. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about apologetics, and it's a word that's derived from Greek, and it gets thrown around every now and then, but all it really means, it actually comes from a Greek word called apologia, and it just means to provide a legal defense. It's to take evidence and present it in a way that defends Jesus, So just like me, apologetics can help remove obstacles to people coming to faith in Jesus. We're going to focus in on one particular objection. So after I went to that night, I had some of my categories shattered. I had to rethink the possibility of there being a God. And the very next question that came up in my life was what about good and evil? If God is the good creator of the world we live in, why is my experience sometimes not good? And to, to an expansion on this is, this is, this is how it's stated. So, as a Christian, we believe that God is the creator of everything, that God is all-powerful, and that God is good. Well, it leaves us with the question of, well, where does evil come from? Or why, or why is it at times the world is not that good? The atheist would reply, well, either God is not willing to stop evil or is incapable. I mean, how do we respond to genuine objections to God in a thoughtful manner? So, if we think about it, does the world we live in actually have the potential to be good? Today, I'm going to provide a long answer from the Scriptures, so that hopefully when you have conversations with friends and family that are challenging you, you can provide an equipped, short answer. Or maybe you're here today as a person with faith in Jesus, And you have these questions floating around in the back of your head. Hopefully, we can just start a process of answering some of those today. Cool. So answering this objection, I'm going to be using the whole biblical narrative. And it's funny because this whole narrative seems to be asking the exact same questions. What kind of world do we live in? So for those of you who are following along in the Bible, page one. (laughs) And so Genesis 1 is mind-boggling. But one theme I really want to focus in on is God being depicted as the author of what is good in relation to human beings. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, this state of creation, is this good for humans? Is this a place where you can raise a family or do anything of value? Um, We have this chaotic, watery, wilderness description of the state of creation. So God starts his working week. Day one, light and dark, or day and night. God's ordering the passage of time, and God sees that it is good, or God saw that it was good. Is this good for humans? Yeah, we need time in our world. We need an ordered world to live in. Day two, water and sky. God actually doesn't say day two is good, because we can't live in either one of those areas. Day three, dry land and fruit trees. God sees that that's good. That's that's definitely our place. Day four, God's God's filling the space that's crowded in day one, the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's, It's the ancient world's clock and calendar. This is something that's required for humans. Day five, fish and birds. Good. Day six, animals and humans. God's filling the land created in day three. Cool. So Genesis 1.26, then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Cool. So here we have this, God starts off with this blank canvas of formless and void. And over a period of six days, he takes this this formless void, and he creates what we experience around us. And he pronounces over it that it is good. The world we live in is good. Yeah. <laughs> and let's just we'll stop and think about that. If we, if we think about the world that we're experiencing right now, we're, we're indoors, we have power flowing that's providing us heat, light, images. You know, just, if we just stop and think about just the raw potential that's packed into the world that we live in, it is so good. Like the, This world is so peculiar when you look at it in that way. It seems like it's just everything's provided. The other curious thing as well is humans. It appears, according to Genesis 1, that humans take creation from being just good to very good. Humans play a role in taking this world to where it needs to go. Cool. Genesis 2. The Lord God plants a garden in Eden. And in the the garden, there is a choice. Now, as modern people, we are really distantly removed from the original context of the garden setting. We're not farmers. Well, most of us aren't. Um, We get our produce from a grocery store. So, I just, w- I just want to try and provide an analogy, and it's not perfect, <laughs> just, to get our, just to get our heads in the mind space of what the original reader would have been thinking. So, picture this. You've got a wealthy friend, and he's going on a journey, and he says, look, I need a house sitter for three months. Do you want a house sit for me? Um, you can eat the food in my pantry. You can swim in my pool. You can have people over. If you want to go anywhere, just borrow one of my cars. I've got a tennis court, a sauna, and a gym. You have access to it all. The one thing I ask is that you don't go in my office. <laughs> How many of you are thinking, what's in the office? <laughs> well, welcome to Genesis 2. <laughs> so in Genesis 2.9... And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The choice in this garden is represented by two trees. One that leads to life and one that's the representation of good and evil. We find out more about it in Genesis 2.16. Genesis 2.16. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall die. It would appear from these two statements that um, for humans to truly have dominion in God's good earth, that they need free will. And with that free will comes risk. To truly love and to truly rule as under God's image, we need to be able to—we need to be able to be agents of our own free will. That's so critical for the biblical story. And what do humans do with that free will? <laughs> Genesis three, all goes pear-shaped. lest you die. I just want to question you, is, is, that what actually, is that what God actually said? No, he didn't say that. He said nothing about not touching it. So we have this, we have this creature who's presented as a beast of the field, and he, we don't know where he came from. All we know is he's in rebellion to God, and he's speaking words of doubt in God's creation. And those words of doubt have an effect. Those words of doubt make Eve even mistake what God actually said. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took off its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Seeing what is good in our own eyes and taking it is the image of evil in the Bible. When we define good and evil apart from God, we drag our world away from the ideal. And this isn't something that just happened once. This is something that happens on a daily basis. Humans defining good and evil for themselves, causing death and destruction in God's good world. And... I just want to to provide a somewhat trivial example of this. And so picture this, and I'm sure this has happened to a lot of us here. You get home from work, and you find that your wife's not home. So you put on the jug, make yourself a cup of tea, and you go rummaging through the pantry. (laughs) There we go, there you go. You look in the pantry you see that the packet of Tim Tams is good. The packet of Tim Tams is pleasing to the eyes. So you take the packet of Tim Tams and you eat them for yourself. There's none left. What have you done? Well, that action is destroying your own body, but it's also destroying your relationship with your wife. Maybe maybe she wanted some Tim Tams. (laughs) You've neglected the the critical other half of your relationship in order to do what is good in your own eyes at that time. What appears to be good for you at that time is actually bad for everyone around you and also yourself. Um, This is something that just happens time and time and time and time again in the whole story of the scriptures. <laughs> like And all sorts of new and interesting inversions of the story. Um, so we see Genesis 3 crops up. Um, the next topic crops up is actually in the flood account. If we think about creation, we have the chaotic waters part, dry land emerges, and Noah plants a garden. He eats of the fruit and winds up naked. This is like the author is just masterfully crafting these stories, just to highlight just this repeat of humans seeing what is good in their own eyes, and taking it. Let's go to Genesis 16. This is Abraham and Sarah. Now they were called out of um, the land of Ur, and they were called to be the bl- they were called to be a nation that would bless the entire earth. Now, the blessing was to come through a promised seed. And how will they obtain that seed? Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, his servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Can you see the overlapping language? Yeah. Just as Eve had taken the fruit and given it to Adam, now Sarai takes Hagar and gives it to her husband. And what are the effects of this? This, this, is, a, this is a massive blotch on Abraham's whole life. He was... He was meant to obtain a descendant through faith. And this is the opposite of faith. This is taking for himself what God had promised. Now, this is just one example of many. If we go through the whole biblical story, we've got Noah, Abraham... All of Abraham's descendants, <laughs> Moses, David, Solomon, we can all find stories very similar throughout their history. So, what do we say? Like, God has given us this good world and He's purposed to bless humans in it. But how have humans treated His good world? Put it another way, who is to blame for the world not being good? A massive part is the human abuse of free will. Then the question is, well, how would you fix it? Without ruining God's original intent to have humans with dominion over the earth. The removal of evil would also mean the removal of us and that would would remove God's original intent for creation. And the question then lies, what would it look like to have a human that lives under God's definition of good and evil? I present to you Jesus. (laughs) Yes. God has not stood by and watched human evil run his creation into the ground he hasn't removed our free will either. Jesus is a new Adam figure and one that doesn't eat the fruit in the garden. And it's, it's just so appropriate, the Philippians 2 verse 7 this morning, just, uh, just amazing. <laughs> Jesus came and showed us a new way to be human. He is the image of a king, the rightful ruler of the world who came and wished only to serve others. And what did the leaders of Jerusalem do? Well, they saw that it was good in their own eyes to crucify Jesus. And God lets human and spiritual evil do its very worst to him on the cross and kill him. But death is not the end. Jesus' self-sacrificial love is an example we are all called to live by. So, according to the Scriptures, God is the generous creator of all we experience and of all that is good. And God is intent on fulfilling his original purpose to have humans ruling. God has provided a way and wants all to trust in him, what he did on our behalf, and where he's taking his creation. Now, this, this, uh, using the biblical story is just one method of many, many methods to approach this question of good and evil. But I think it's a powerful one. It, it really speaks to the nature of God and it speaks to our position and our responsibilities within God's creation. Um, and also, when you're having conversations or even with your own sort of mental process, just time is critical. Long periods of time can go by when you don't see anything happening when you think that your, fr- that your families and your friends aren't coming any closer to Jesus. But my experience was that behind the scenes, the Spirit is actually at work. Yeah. The Spirit is doing things that you and I can't observe in their friends and family, yeah. and we have to trust that we speak when we're prompted to, And we have to trust that God is at work in all things at all times. And don't expect too much. I know my wife will attest (laughs) to wanting a a miraculous occurrence to happen and go from being a pretty dead-set atheist to someone who has a full-blown faith in Jesus instantly. And I don't think it happens that way. A lot of the time. So be patient. Yeah, it took me probably about three years to get from a point where I even entertained the idea that there was a possibility of a God, to even coming to faith in Jesus. Like, and I, th- I look back now and I think, well, were those years wasted? I don't. I don't think so. I think processing stuff is really really important. So just what I want to do now is as we come to a close I just want to take a couple of minutes and just we'll just close our eyes. I just want to reflect on what creation would look like. What would creation look like if every single person related to one another the same way Jesus relates to the people around him? What would that mean for our world? Would evil even be a thing? Lord Jesus, I just thank you for what you've done on our behalf. I acknowledge that, you know, I've taken your creation in a direction that it wasn't meant to go. I just thank you that you've shown me the way. You are the light of the world. You are the very essence of what it means to have creation working in a way that God purposed it. And we just we just look expectantly to the day where that is fulfilled fully. We thank you for the cross, Lord. The moment where the one person who is truly good lets evil do whatever it wants to him, removing his life. Without it, we're we're hopelessly lost. We thank you also that death is not the end. That through your resurrection you've shown that evil is merely a threat. Your resurrection shows that it actually has no substance. That it accomplished nothing. Amen. Can I just encourage you, church? Um, in our lives and in the days and weeks going out from here, just follow Jesus' example of self-sacrificial love and the people we meet, whether we like them or not. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Cheers, guys.
1: Thanks, Ryan. I just want to finish um, with that new song we did earlier, King of Kings, which is such an incredible, incredible description of Jesus turning up in this planet in human form right through to the birth of the church. Would you like to stand with us? Once again, Philippians 2. in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father.